In this episode, Satan, doubt, deception, temptation and sin, blame and shame, repentance and God's deliverance. Hello everyone and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you so you're free to just sit back, listen and absorb or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time I'll be reading from the New King James Version but if I switch I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode I'll introduce the titles so if you want the entire study in writing you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under five dollars. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode three, and today we'll be going over lesson four and five of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study. Last episode, we read in Genesis 1 and 2, and we talked about the creation of people and the family and what that means for our lives. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, you might want to go back and do that. We talked about the Trinity and answered the age-old question, why are we here, and discussed marriage and relationships and really just our purpose in life. This week, we will be mostly reading in Genesis 3, and we'll be discussing Satan's schemes and how it is that we can combat that. So let's get started by reading in chapter 2, verse 9 of Genesis. It says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let's skip down to verse 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Okay, let's stop right there. So this is the command that God gave Adam whenever he created them and placed them in the garden. He told them what they could and couldn't do, and then he told them what the consequences would be if they disobeyed him. The rest of our time is going to be spent in chapter 3, and we'll see what it is that they did in response to God's command. But before we move on, I want to touch on this word, die, because it is easily, in our language, misunderstood. So at the end it says, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that sounds as though they will just drop dead the moment that they eat of the fruit, if they choose to do so. But it's just lost a little bit in translation. This is really a progressive form of this word. And so what it's really saying is that you will begin to die. At the moment, they are preserved, if you would, in the exact state that they are in. And so they're not aging. Nothing is changing physically. So if they choose to eat of this fruit, then they will begin to die. The word literally is like you will begin to die and you will die every day until you die. That's basically what it means. They will not just drop dead at that moment, but they will begin the process of death at that moment. 
Okay, so we're going to move on and we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. And it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Okay, so we're going to stop right there because we need to see the character of Satan. Notice that it says that he was more cunning than any beast of the field. So he is sneaky, deceptive, crafty. All of those words would fit. And Satan has come to them in the form of a serpent. We need to understand that Satan has not changed his character since the beginning of time. He is still deceptive, crafty, and sneaky. He doesn't just come up and announce to us, you know, Hi, I'm Satan. I'm evil to the core. I'm a prideful, murderous, thieving liar. Follow me to hell, please. You know, this is not how he announces himself, especially to Christians. Generally, he presents himself as very good and caring because he knows that we will not follow someone to hell purposefully. We will not follow someone that goes against everything that we know to be good and right. And so he has to present himself as if he is good and right. I want you to look at Matthew 7, 15 with me because this just shows that things are not always what they seem. This is Jesus talking and he's telling them, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And that is what Satan is like. He comes to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly he is a ravenous wolf. He is preying on the innocent and the vulnerable. And here's the thing. This is not hard for him because he was originally created as one of the most beautiful cherubs that bear the greatest light in heaven. Satan was an angel in the beginning, and then his pride got the better of him And he decided that he wanted to rebel against God because he wanted to be like God. He did not want to be beneath anyone. And so he was cast out of heaven onto this earth. But in the beginning, he was a beautiful angel bearing light. We're not going to read these verses, but in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, and Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, these verses are talking about Satan and what he was created to be. So this is not a difficult trick for him to play on us because it's easy for him to look beautiful and as if he's, he's something good because he was created to be that. So that's the first thing that we need to know is that Satan is not going to present himself as someone that is going against God or someone that is bad. So we have to be aware of sneaky, deceptive practices. That's the first thing. So now we're going to look at how he deceives Adam and Eve so that we can understand, okay, this is how he does things. Here's what we need to do to combat that. So we're going to read again in verse 1 because he immediately addresses Eve and he says, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Notice that he is immediately making her doubt God's words. That's his first thing. He's like, is this really what God said? Maybe you misunderstood him. Maybe that's not exactly what he meant. You know, he's trying to make her question the guidelines that she's been given. This is still a tactic today. 
Maybe I'm the only one, I don't think so, that has questioned the words of the Bible or tried to twist them and make them say what I want them to say so that my sins are justified, so that I can do something that I want to do that I know I really shouldn't do, whatever. This is what Satan does because he knows as Christians, we don't want to disobey God. And so if he can make us think that God said something different than what we originally think he said, then he can make us sin. And so that is one of his primary tactics for Christians is to make us doubt God's words. Now let's move on to Eve's response. Verse two and three. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Notice that we get a little more information right here that we didn't have before. It says not to even touch the tree. Why in the world would God ask him not to touch the tree? What's the purpose of that? Can't even touch it. I'm not eating it. What's the big deal? You just don't want me to eat it. I'm not. Just holding it in my hand. Okay, well, let's look at James 1, 14 and 15 and see what James has to say about sin. It says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So he's letting us know right here that we're tempted whenever we're drawn away by our own desires, when we're being enticed. And generally, when we give way to those desires, then that gives birth to sin. And isn't it much easier to give way to that desire to eat that fruit if it's already in your hand? Much, much easier, right? That's the way that this works. And so God knows this, and in his infinite wisdom, he says, you know, you're better off not even touching this fruit because once it's in your hand, you're not going to be able to resist because you are going to be so enticed. You are going to have entertained that desire to the point that you're not going to be able to resist. We like to do this thing where it's like, well, I'm not technically sinning. I haven't actually done whatever it is that you're not supposed to do, but Getting too close to the line too often may just be too tempting. And much of the time, it's best to just stay far away. Think about a physical line and you being way far away from it. And then you just beginning to take step after step after step, but thinking all the while, I'm just going to go to the line. I'm not going to cross over the line. Well, what happens when you've been taking not just one or two steps, but 20 steps, are you just going to stop? And then what? You're going to turn around and you're just going to go back? Really? You know, once you get all the way to the line, there's nowhere else to go but over it or turn around and go the other direction. And here's the issue. Turn around and take more steps is more steps than it is to just stay going the direction we're going and just walk right over it. That's just the nature of people. You know, everyone does not have the same temptation as the other person. What may be tempting to me may not be tempting to you, but I need to be aware of my own temptations and I don't need to walk right up to that line. I need to stay far, far away from it. Because if I allow myself to entertain those desires, then most likely I will also cross over into sin. And so it is best for us not to even allow ourselves to think on something that entices us too long or take any steps towards that thing. 
Okay, so let's go to Satan's next tactic, beginning in verse 4. It says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so this is actually the truth. That's the thing, okay? Because this is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, although they will surely die, they will not surely drop dead this moment. And even more true, they will know the difference between good and evil. They will be like God in that way. So, let me explain to you before we move any further the difference between a lie and deception. Because Satan practices in deception quite often. And we need to be able to recognize it. A lie is stating something that is completely false and it can be proven as such. Deception may only be leading someone to believe a lie. It may technically be true, but the intent is for someone to believe something that's false. Honestly, deception, in my opinion, is much more dangerous because a lie, an outright lie, a person can say, um, no, that's not true because it's a fact that can be proven as false. But deception is so um, deceiving, and so it's difficult to spot because many times people are telling you the truth. They're just leading you to believe a lie. They know what you think that they mean by what they say, and so they're leading you to believe something that's false, even though they're telling the truth. And that's what he's doing right here because he's telling them the truth. The truth is they are going to be like God in that they are going to know the difference between good and evil because at this moment, all they know is good things. They do not know evil at all. But what he is leading them to believe is that God is holding out on them. He doesn't have their best interest at heart. He's thinking only of himself. He doesn't want them to be like him. He wants to be the only one that has this magical power. You know, this is what he's leading us to believe. And so up in verse one, he got us to doubt God's words. This time he is getting us to doubt God's motives. The entire intent is for us to decide God's not good. He doesn't care about me. He cares more about himself. He gives me these rules only to hurt me, only to keep me down, only to restrict me and keep me from having fun or a good life or all the things that I want. I mean, does this sound familiar? Because this is what we do, right? We say, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to obey all these rules. They're stupid anyways. I know what's best for me. He doesn't care about me. This isn't for my benefit. I know what's good for me. Those kinds of things. And so Satan is constantly planting those thoughts in our heads. And that's what he does to Eve. He is trying to make her doubt God's intentions. And so if you happen to have bought the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction study, and you have the chart, Satan's Schemes, and Our Defenses, you might want to get that out right now. If you don't, it's not a problem. All it is is basically everything that I'm saying just in bullet points. So you will see on the left side what it is that Satan is doing to trick us. And on the right side, you're going to see how can we combat that. And so what is it that we're supposed to do whenever Satan makes us doubt God's word or his character? How do we combat that? 
The only way that we can combat a lie is with the truth. So we have to know the truth. We have to know what God's word really says, and we have to know what God's character is. The way for us to know this is to know the Bible, because the Bible is God's word to us. It is Him speaking to us. We can also talk to God through prayer, and we can also hear Him through prayer. But even with our prayers, we need to check them with the Word of God when we think that we hear a word from God in our hearts or in our minds, because sometimes what we think is a word from God is a deception from Satan. And so the only way we can actually know is if we know what God's Word says And we know that contradicts it. If a thought or a feeling of ours or someone else's contradicts what the Bible says, then it is a lie or a deception. Same thing with God's character. If we begin to think something about God, then we have to check it. Does the Bible reflect that? Does it tell us that is the way that he was handled this situation or that is how he generally is? You know, we do have this tendency to think, He doesn't care about us. Well, here's the thing. There's about a million verses in the Bible that tells us contrary to that. There's about a million passages that show us contrary to that. And so when we start thinking or feeling something or someone else comes to us with a thought or a feeling that contradicts a characteristic of God, then we can definitely know that's not true. But the only way for us to do that is to know what the Word of God says. That's, again, why it's so important to know and study the Bible. Think of it as as a normal person. If someone comes up to you and tells you something about your best friend, you're going to be quickly able to say, oh yeah, that's exactly what he's like. Or "Mm, no, I wasn't there, but I can tell you that he wouldn't do that because that is not how he acts. Because you know his character. The more we read the Bible, then the more we know God. And when we know him, we know how he handles things and how he does not. We know what his word says and what it does not. And so we can easier spot deceptions. That is our weapon whenever he is trying to place doubt in our mind about God's word or his intentions. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, God tells us that he gives us weapons in order to fight Satan. They're spiritual weapons. And so we're going to read those now because the Bible is one of those weapons. Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So these are our weapons against Satan. Notice that one of the weapons that we have against Satan is the truth and that the word of God is called a weapon. It is called the sword of the spirit. And so this is what we slay him with. It is our offensive weapon. It is the thing that we can not just defend ourselves with, but that we can completely cut down his deception with. Again, if we are going to do that, we have to know the word. So going back to the chart, on the left side, you're going to see doubt God's word, doubt God's motives. And on the right side, you're going to see our weapon is know the word of God. Read the Bible. On the left side, again, you're going to see being enticed by sin. And on the right, you're going to see stay far away. Do not even entertain sin. Now, let's look at the next idea Satan has for Eve. Beginning in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So he has enticed her and she has entertained that desire and now it has given birth to sin. So she has eaten the forbidden fruit. But notice also that not only did she eat it, but she gave some to her husband. So this is his next tactic. He's like, um, oh yeah, by the way, recruit an accomplice. If you can just get someone else to join you, you won't feel quite so bad. And then it'll be easier later if somebody finds you out all this business. Our way to combat that is just, I don't know, don't be that kind of friend, you know? Don't be the kind of person that drags somebody down with you. And beware that this is Satan's tactic and that if someone else is doing something wrong, they are going to try and drag you down with them, especially if it is something that you have stayed far away from or you have crossed the line of at one point and decided to turn around and run far away from or you left that, but you're starting to walk a little bit towards it again. He is going to use that. And as soon as you are close enough, he's going to tell that person, hey, get her, get him, make them join you. That's how he works. And so again, don't get close enough that a person can grab you and bring you along with them in their sinful ways. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. This is the whole bad company corrupts good character thing. Don't hang around people that are doing the things that tempt you. Doesn't mean that you can only hang around perfect people, but if they're in a situation where they're doing something that tempts you, then you need to get out of there. Stay far away. That is not staying far away. If you are continuing to be friends with someone that is continuing to do the things that are tempting you because they are going to corrupt whatever good character you are trying to achieve. Again, I think that we are supposed to not just stay in our little bubble of good Christian people all the time or whatever. We do have to go into the world and we do need to be friends with people that may be lost or that are struggling, but It is not a good idea to be close friends with someone that is struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with and losing that battle. Because if they're losing that battle and you're close, they're going to grab you and pull you down with them. That's just human nature and it is exactly what Satan uses against us. 
So look what happens to them immediately once they eat of the fruit that they were told not to eat from. Verse 7 of chapter 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Okay, so we're going to stop right there. So they didn't know they were naked before, like they thought they had clothes on, but they didn't. What in the world? That's not what that means, right? What that means is that as God told them, they now are able to know evil. And so before, it was completely innocent, right? It's just like a little kid. They're running around with no clothes on. They don't know any different, right? Until we tell them, um, you're supposed to cover yourself up. They're like, oh, okay. That's what Adam and Eve were like. They didn't know that it was wrong to not be covered until they knew the difference between good and evil. Because up to this point, it was perfectly fine, perfectly innocent for them to walk around without any clothes on. There was no need to cover because there was nothing to be ashamed of. Now, notice what happens once they realize something is bad. This is what happens to us whenever we realize we've done something wrong. This is verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So what happens? Soon as they did something wrong, their immediate reaction was hide. Don't let him see. Don't let him know. Well, notice that in verse 11, just the fact that they were hiding meant that God knew. Which, again, take the child analogy. As soon as our kids are sitting somewhere and they're hiding, you know that they know that they did something. It's like, why are you hiding? Why are you sitting quietly off to yourself? What'd you do? You know, that's our first reaction. So this is what God says in verse 11. He says, um, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat of? So immediately he knows that that's what happened. Now, this is the dumbest trick that Satan does and that we fall for. I guess we should say we're the dumbest for falling for this trick, okay? Because here's what he does. All before we sin, he says, it's okay. It's not a big deal. There's no reason you can't do it. God's just holding out on you. Or he didn't really say that anyways. There's nothing wrong with it. Whatever. The whole time he's talking us into it, telling us it's not a problem. And the second that we do it, he flips on us and he says, what did you do? Why'd you do that? Oh my goodness. That was so bad. Why in the world would we fall for that? When two seconds ago, he was telling us this isn't bad. Now he's saying, oh, it's so bad. Two seconds ago, he was saying, do it, it's not a big deal. Now he's saying, why'd you do that? And we fall for that stuff because Satan is so good at what he does. He's been doing it longer than we have, okay? I want you to look at something with me in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 because there is a difference between feeling bad for what you did and feeling ashamed for what you did. This is what 2 Corinthians 7, 8 says. This is Paul and he's talking to the church of Corinth. And this is his second letter to the Corinth church. And apparently in his first letter, he may have said some things that upset the people a little bit. And so he's clarifying himself now. And he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. 
For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Do you see that? There's a difference between the sorrow that God makes us feel when we do something wrong that makes us truly feel sorry and wish that we had not done it, that changes our hearts and makes us repent, that leads us to a righteous life, and the sorrow, the shame that Satan makes us feel that makes us hide, okay? God's sorrow never makes us hide. There's no point in it, okay? But Satan, his shame always makes us hide. He doesn't want us to repent. He doesn't want us to feel sorry and change our actions. He wants us to feel so bad about ourselves that we don't want anyone to know. Why would he do that? What's the purpose of that? Well, if we feel sorry and we repent, then we go to God and we're actually closer and more righteous than we were before. But if he can make us feel so horrible that we hide from him, then we get further and further and further away from the God that loves us, the gracious and merciful God that can wash away our sins. Satan knows this, see? And so his whole entire tactic is to make us so ashamed that we won't go near God again. We won't go near another Christian. We won't go near anyone that does anything good because then they may see the bad that we do and then they might think bad of us. We're not good enough to be around good people. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And what God says is that there are no good people. Everyone sins. Everyone falls short. And so God wants us to come to him and say, hey, I messed up. Because that means that we understand what we did. We're going to try to do better. And that reconciles our relationship with him. That's what he wants. But Satan convinces us that we're too bad to even approach his throne. And then when he gets us to stay away from God and stay away from godly people, then he can also get us to stay in our sin. Because if it's already hidden and people already don't see it, then why not stay in that sin? No reason to stop now. I'm already a sinner. So why not? Now, we're going to look at the very last tactic and then we're going to read a couple more verses and then we're going to deal with the rest of this on how God handled their sin next episode. So let's continue reading in verse 12 and 13. This is right after God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? And the man said, well, the woman that you gave me She gave me of the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me. And so I ate. So now we see the real reason for the accomplice, right? Because now we have someone to blame. So it wasn't really the man's fault. It was the woman's fault. Well, it really wasn't the woman's fault either. It was really the serpent's fault. Well, it is the serpent's fault, right? I mean, that's true. But it's also the woman's fault and it's also the man's fault. And so when we have been found out, You know, we already hid. We already felt ashamed. And so we knew we did wrong. We feel bad about it, but we don't feel bad enough to own up to it, right? And so when confronted with their sin, they say, well, it wasn't really my fault. It was really someone else's fault. That's human nature, right? And it really is. Man, it is hard to admit. It is so hard to admit. And it's so dumb, especially whenever the person that's confronting us already knows we did it. 
But for some reason, we just want to make an excuse, right? We just want to say, it, it really wasn't me. So hard to take responsibility for our actions. But it's really, really vital if we want to be truly free of the hold that the sin has over us. And so this is Satan's last ditch effort, you know, to just keep us in that sin. It's just like, don't take responsibility because as soon as you do, then, okay, you're reconciled back with God. And then we got to start over. Listen to what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Satan knows this. He knows that the second we confess that God is going to forgive us and we are going to be so glad to receive his forgiveness that we're going to accept it and we're going to be cleansed from all our unrighteousness. And that is the last thing that Satan wants. I want you to also look with me in Psalm 32. Man, this is a beautiful psalm. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's not a ton of verses, but it's all just so good that I can't help but reading it. Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly should pray to you in a time when you shall be found. Surely in the flood of great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. Now this is God talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Look at the very first part. The person whose transgressions are forgiven is blessed. And then look at the very last sentence in verse 1. The person is also blessed whose sin is covered. Do you notice how as soon as they sinned, they had to cover their nakedness? They had to cover their openness, their transparency. They had to hide. Okay? If we want our sins to be covered, we cannot cover them by ourselves. We can't. It's like the ostrich with his head in the sand. He's still there. We still see him. Okay? God still knows. And so if our sins must be covered, let them be covered in the blood of Jesus. That's what it's saying here. If you want your sins to be covered, then go to the one that can cover them. Don't run from him. Satan wants us to run from him because he wants us to be so ashamed. But God says, come to me and I will cleanse you from them. Okay, and so then it says, Whenever he kept silent, his bones grew old. Day and night, God's hand was heavy on him. It makes us feel horrible when we do wrong and nobody knows about it. Whenever we're hiding in our sin, it is a miserable existence. And God, in his grace, makes his hand heavy on us. If we feel a heavy hand of God on our heart, then what that means is that we are still capable of repentance and God knows it. And so he is constantly letting that sin weigh on us until we can't take it anymore and we come to him for confession. 
Listen to verse 5. He says, When I acknowledged my sin to you and I confessed my transgressions, you forgave me. And then look at verse 7. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. If we must hide, let's hide in the Lord. Let's hide from sin and not from God, where He can protect us from trouble, where He can deliver us from the power that it has over us. Then God goes on and He tells us He will instruct us. He will teach us. He will guide us if we only go to Him. He does not want us to be like the horse that has to have a harness and a bridle to pull them to Him. He doesn't want to force us to come to Him, to stay beside Him. He wants us to come willingly. We just have to be aware of the tactics that Satan uses so that we can combat them. We can stop ourselves at any point. You know, it can be done early on with little consequence, or it can be done at the end after we've been going through agony. We can recognize his deceit right off because we know the truth. We know the character of God. We know that it's a lie and a deception. We can stay far, far away from our sins so that no one can grab us and drag us down so that our own desire doesn't entice us to the point of sin. Or we can go ahead and we can entertain that and we can believe the lies and we can go ahead and do whatever it is that we're not supposed to do. But even after that, we can stop. We can stop the progression. As soon as we sin, we can confess it. We can go to the one that can cover us. We can go to the one that we can hide in. We can do that quickly or we can do it after months or years worth of shame and hiding and feeling worthless. It's our choice. And so telling you today that there's always, always hope. As long as we're alive, there is hope for change. No matter where you are today in the scheme that Satan has for you, know that it is not too late. You can always, always turn it around. That is God's desire for us. So that's what I want to leave you with today. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. If you have any comments, questions, whatever, I will respond to all the emails that I can. Next episode, we're going to talk about God's response. And you know, it is a response of punishment, but it is also a response of extreme, extreme mercy and grace. And so make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode because it does not end here. God has a way to cover our sin. And we will talk about that next time. Be encouraged that he loves you and that all he wants is for us to be close to him. So that's all I have for today. Make sure that you listen to the next episode. Thanks and have a good day.